The First Tee with Robbie Greenfield and Zane Scotland. Brought to you by the DP World Tour, the race to Dubai. Hello one and all, welcome along to another edition of the First Tee podcast with the DP World Tour, hosted by myself, Robbie Greenfield and Zane Scotland. Coming up on the show, we're in conversation with a man who plays golf differently to just about anyone else on the planet. A former pro turned influencer and rising YouTube star who's become known by many as the king of sling, Mac Boucher is quite simply the most creative golfer you will ever meet. And we're going to be delving into how he thinks about the game and why he plays it the way he does. We'll also look back on a very strong start to the season for an Aussie who is eyeing big things in 2024. Welcome along then to another edition of the First Tee Podcast with the DP World Tour. And joining me, fresh from his own exploits, his own tournament play over in Bahrain at the King Hamad Trophy, it's Mr. Zane Scotland. How are we, sir? Very good, Robbie. Very good. A little bit battle-worn from not playing as well as I wanted to wanted to play, but, you know, that's a, that's a common golfer tale, isn't it? Did your return to competitive golf go much the same way as Tiger Woods in his first round at the Bahamas? You know what? That is ex- what an amazing way to put it. That is <laughs> what exactly a lovely what analogy. Want. A bit of rust in there. You know, a good start, a bit of rust. You know, hopefully that, you know... Hopefully that my, my fortunes will change and uh, and people will be talking about myself for winning majors again. <laughs> Potentially. <laughs> Let, let's not get ahead of ourselves. But you did tell me off air just before we went live, you did tell me this has reinvigorated your uh, your love for the game. We're not going to dwell on what you shot, Zane, but it's reinvigorated your, I suppose, your your desire to play a bit more tournament golf. Yeah, it has. To be honest, it wasn't. I didn't play terribly. It wasn't, there weren't disastrous scores, but... Yeah, just it's that little piece of there's something different about playing social golf and playing when it matters. It's a different feeling. You have to use different shots at different times. And yeah, it has made me like pull my socks up basically and be like, right, if I'm going to do this, there's a certain way to practice. So yeah, I'm, I've been back on the range working my golf swing, getting into it. So yeah, it's been, it's been I, I think week. I think what we've learned is mucking around with me on the chipping green is is going to do nothing for your tournament sharpness, Zane. So I have to apologise to you on that front, but I do have to thank you for a lovely short game lesson, which I've been working on in my own time. I'm still trying to break eighty, and I'm hoping that that will happen in the near future. Mate, good times ahead. Good times ahead. Low spinners. Low that's, spinners. That's big, it. Big Harbour spinners. That's the one. Yeah, check out Zane's Instagram page for more details on what a wonderful short game lesson it was on my chipping around the greens. But we're not going to bore you with that. There's loads to get to on this episode. We're in conversation with a really interesting guy. A guy who... I mean, he's been the definition of someone who's gone viral these last couple of years. He started an Instagram page which has taken off. It's gathered to, I think, about 330,000 followers. Mac Boucher, he's known as the king of sling. He shapes a ball like no one else. It's like like a PlayStation golfer, but he does it in real life. Yeah, I played golf with him him once at Dubai Hills and I kind of knew of him, you know, through social media, you know, a couple of years ago, kind of saw his big, big hooky seven iron or whatever he hit uh, on the 17th hole at the Ass Links where the ball started out the screen on the phone and it hooks back in. And you think, who's this guy? You know, is he, is he a real golfer? You know, is it just all for a bit of fun? But when you play golf with him, you realise it's actually really inspiring, very liberating. You know, the shots that he plays and takes on and sees so differently to what the rest of us see it is so good and he's really good at it. Really good. Like when he tries to hit a big the big slice or the big hook, it doesn't like, he never like mishits it or scuffs it or hits like a massive over slice. It's like 
always tracking toward the hole. So, yeah, it's, it's a fascinating way of playing golf. And I think what's really nice is he kind of ticks a different type of golf. You know, we, we talk a lot here about competing and professional golf at the, at the very top level, but he's consuming golf in a completely different way, which is just to go out and have fun, play how he wants to play and not necessarily how you're going to, you know, make millions and millions of dollars but just go out and enjoy it every day on the golf course he completely embraces that and and as is he's kind of been paid back for it because we all like to watch it absolutely that's it it's infectious it's addictive in many ways just watching him it helps that he's actually playing golf in these incredible backdrops like New Zealand and, and Canada where he's from I mean it's some of the courses he plays are just beautiful but the shot shaping just the way he makes his content as well it's it's very infectious and you know we as golfers do everything we can to try and avoid shaping it we try and hit the ball as straight as possible someone who embraces that side of the game and shapes it to such a degree as you say the word is is liberating and uh, we're going to be looking forward to getting into Mac's story in detail in just a few moments I got to ask you Zane because we've hardly had time to breathe the DP World Tour Championship finished what 10 days or so ago and we're straight into a brand new season and hitting the ground running Minwoo Lee what a performance it was from him and he's setting his sights having won the Australian PGA on a really really big 2024 he wants to emulate his sister Minji Lee and go ahead and win a major and it looks like that's within his compass now because he's playing some fantastic golf yeah Minwoo Lee that name has been coming up for a couple of years now in this in these conversations we've known him from a little bit from social media actually he was a bit of a he was a bit of a Mac Boucher himself I remember the first time I would have seen him would have been on a lovely backdrop somewhere hitting his stinger two irons which he's kind of become he's kind of become famous for now you know Tiger was the man who did the stingers and the next person seems to be doing doing it at top level like him it would be Min Woo Lee amazing talent hits the ball extraordinary distances is uh, an engaging character you know he kind of embraces the position he's in his social media is a really good follow and he's now backing up with wins and good golf and he just looks like he's out there having a good time and he's got a game and he's got the power to back it up and yes more and more wins he can get in the bank at this level when he steps up and he has those first couple of good rounds in a major championship, he's going to know what to do. He's going to be right there. So, and you know, to be a major champion, you have to have, yes, you have to have the game, but you have to have the personality as well. And he seems to be able to, he likes the limelight and embraces that. So, yeah, um, sky's the limit for me. He contended actually at the Abu Dhabi Championship. I know that's moved in the schedule to November of 2024, but it's going to be exciting to see him out here in this part of the world, in the Middle East, hopefully, in the coming months as well. Min Woo Lee, big things to come from him. And of course, with that win, he's jumped up to number one in the Race to Dubai ranking points as well. But um, I do want to get on to our, our special guest in this week's episode, Zane. And this is a man who started in the Canadian mini tours and actually went pro uh, tried to make it as a professional but he did it in a very different way and he came to the realisation that the tour pro life was not for him he has found a lifestyle and a passion in golf that absolutely is the sweet spot for our special guest his name is Mac Boucher let's get into the conversation and welcome Mac into it now 
Mac, thank you so much for joining us on the First Tea Podcast. It's great to have you. You've had a busy year. The channel is is obviously taking off um, and growing and, and reaching new heights. You also played in the Pro-Am at the BMW PGA Championship, which was very cool. Really enjoyed seeing that that footage. Give us a little bit of a, a potted history, if you like. What's been the, some of the highlights of the year you've had so far, Mac? Honestly, that BMW Pro-Am was pretty, uh, pretty special. I had heard lots about it, free event, and um, it definitely lived up to the hype of it. A lot of people kicking around. It was just cool to, I mean, playing in front of that many people is not something that kind of an everyday Joe like myself gets to do very often. So it was pretty cool to uh, to be within that. Um, honestly, I feel like I've had so many different other things. Just too much to even like pick just one though. I've had a pretty crazy year. How was the reaction with such big crowds? Because I know that there are huge crowds up there at Wentworth. To see you hit the shots you hit, Zane's played with you, I've played with you. I mean, the shots that, that, that appear on Instagram, are not they're not kind of created, they're not digitally enhanced, they're, they're the real Mac Boucher. What was the reaction by the crowd to, to the, the kind of shot shaping that you just do as an everyday round of golf? It was pretty funny. On the first hole, I think it was obviously... Um, like a shotgun start we teed off in like a par five and anyone that sees me a driver i stand pretty open and kind of looks like i'm aiming 90 degrees sideways so there's a bunch of people lined up on the side of the rope there and i was pretty much setting up right at them and then i just saw all of them take this big step backwards because obviously like in these events like some of these guys are probably not the greatest golfers playing as amateurs in these events so I see a guy <laughs> taking dead aim at the uh, the crowd and it's uh, a little nerve-wracking but as the day went on people started kind of see what my shtick was and um yeah I mean it, it was cool it was I had a lot of good shots which was nice it was nerve-wracking at the start but kind of settled in be honest Mac were you getting a better reaction than your professional playing partner <laughs> yeah he actually came out. so it's funny I played with Jordan Smith and I've played with Jordan a few times now um I think it's like the third pro-am I played with him this year. So him and his caddy are just like nicest guys ever. And they were kind of, I mean, they were loving it as well. It was a, it was a really fun day, but it was, it was pretty funny in some of the part threes. Cause he would hit one to like 10 feet, just like a stock cut. And I would hit a 90, 90 yard hook pitching wedge to like eight feet. And it was pretty funny. <laughs> Well, you, I wonder if you're getting in, into his psyche. Like, he's, he's thinking, right, I'm going to hit an eight in here. I'm going to turn it off that bunker, you know, a three-yard fade. And then you step up and you're thinking, mm, he just moved it 20 yards left to right here. Maybe I should do that. Because I'll, I'll admit, when, I played, when Mac and I played together at Dubai Hills earlier this year, you know, I'm a professional golfer and I have a way of playing and there's a certain shot that I, I like to hit. But after about seven or eight holes... You start seeing parts of the golf course that you've never seen before. Not because you're not lying, because he's starting over the villas. It's carving back into the fairway. And it is, to be honest, mate, I really enjoy playing golf with you. It's, it's, it's quite inspiring in what you can do. Because one thing when you play with Mac is that, you know, I know a lot of golfers who can aim way off line and hit big curves and so forth. But, like, if it's on a par three, he never, like, there's never, like, a double cross in there or a miss hit or it doesn't overhook, like, wildly. It, like... It's always like kind of moving towards the pin, and it is honestly, it's like it's like a masterclass playing with Mac and seeing it, and then you start to really question your own golf <laughs> and how you play it. Well, I think it's just something that I've like I've obviously spent so many years now kind of dialing in and just trying to understand what my miss is, and the curve actually helps narrow my miss when I try to play normal stock golf. And I mean, 
Jordan kind of had that um, same idea when I played with him because obviously we are total opposites. Like Jordan Smith leads to her inaccuracy off the tee. He's like the straightest dude ever. Um, and we're just total opposites. We were kind of chatting about how I control my miss with curve and he controls his mess by less curve. So it's just funny that there's so many different ways you can kind of achieve the same thing in golf. Obviously, he achieves it better than I do. But. Well, the thing is, Mac, it's, I always think that when you start thinking about shot shaping as a golfer, certainly when you think about it deliberately, uh, it means you've become a pretty, pretty damn good golfer. Anyone who's thinking about deliberately shaping shots is not a 28 handicapper. They are unintentionally shaping shots <laughs> on every time they hit the golf ball. But you seem to have learned golf a different way to, uh, to, to the conventional way that it's learned, the way that it's taught. I know you've been a teacher. I know you had a slightly unconventional kind of start in golf. You were originally a hockey player. Why did you gravitate towards that way of learning golf? Was it intuitive for you? And, and talk to us a little bit, if you can, about how you kind of started in golf. Yeah, so it's, it's definitely intuitive. I was always like an athletic kid growing up. I didn't really pick up a golf club until I was like 17, 18 did everything else high impact skiing golfing or sorry hockey everything but golf um and then when i did pick it up i was kind of forced into it i had a i found a cyst in my brain to give the coles note version of it um that essentially made me have to give up all high impact sports so i picked up golf for me i had to be athletic on the golf course and for whatever reason that was just kind of swinging allowing my body to move the way that it felt most natural um, I don't know if it was the hand eye from hockey or other like sports growing up, but I felt like I had a good a grasp of like how to make a golf ball curve the way I wanted to it and control it just kind of on my own intuition. So instead of fighting it, I kind of just went with it, I guess. Um, and then I started working with Sean Foley. I guess it would have been three years after I was like self-taught, started playing some amateur events and stuff. And I went down and saw Sean and Sean never really tried to change me. He's like, you literally can do you can land a ball on top um, like each time by curving it. He's like, why would we kind of weed that away when it works for you? So we kind of just refined it and made it my own, I guess. Obviously, like there's times where I need to gear it down and I can get in some big trouble just kind of being too erratic with it. But um, yeah, it's just it was just always intuition more than anything. Mac, here's a question for, um, for you in terms of when you shape the ball, do you have well two actually do you have a preference in, in moving left to right or right to left and then do you find yourself kind of hitting one big shot all the time and you have to kind of force yourself to hit it the other way just to even it out a little bit so it's interesting off the tee i'm like a one-trick pony um like driver i am like i call it a safety slice Matt about just call himself a one-trick pony <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, literally though like i'm like driver you try to get me to hit draw i can do it if the wind's off the left if i i need to feel that wind off the left shoulder for me um to hit a draw off the tee with driver so driver i'm like cuts only 95 percent of the time woods i like to hit like a smaller cut but i can more comfortably obviously um curve it left to right or draw because I'm a lefty irons I'm probably more of a draw player now um, I was always cut throughout my entire golf bag but it seems like as I've kind of progressed I've been more comfortable drawing irons cutting woods um, but I would say the natural shot shape when I was like playing full time was like a little push fade okay yeah it's interesting it's interesting how the the world of golf has trended from a draw to a to a stock fade I would imagine technology has had a large part to play in that because back in the day when you were using 
persimmon woods and then Bellata balls and b- before the kind of technological revolution of the Pro V1 and the equipment uh, a fade just didn't go anywhere near as far as a as a draw right and mm. and and now you now the guys on tour are just boshing these 340 yard cuts which <laughs> which is just a totally revolutionary way of of shaping the ball I suppose but that's that's the shot they like that's the safe shot in many ways isn't it yeah and I think I mean it's easier to control f- um, a cut for a lot of people but I think the golf ball doesn't know which side of the ball you're hitting it from so if I can deliver the same club path and stuff as like a righty hitting a draw I can still kind of do the same thing as long as I'm hitting up on it so it's kind of understanding the golf swing as well and then obviously technology's progressed a ton but that's that's the piece right because you know you're a lefty and that's why I'm kind of saying left right right to left because as you said the, the golf the golf ball doesn't care what side it comes from and I think what we worked out from from Trackman and uh, other launch monitors is that you know deliver at a certain angle of attack with a certain spin loft and path and face people used to think oh fade definitely goes further but maybe it was maybe the way people hit fade it maybe cut down across it but now people have worked out how to you know hit up on it still but hit, hit across the ball and still get the distance out of it which is which is a piece for you Mac is your shaping always been completely intuitive or was there like a bit of a moment like say when you went with Sean did he kind of educate you a little bit on how much the path and the face has to mix up? Do you ever look at numbers? I would interesting to know your stock kind of big right to left cut driver off the tee. Do you have like, have you ever measured it? What sort of numbers are you putting out for that? Yeah, so driver, I do, I, I kind of have started dabbling into the numbers. I was all intuitive at the start. And obviously technology's kind of moved a little bit in the last 10 years, I would say. Um, and then I actually, when I stopped playing full-time, I started fitting. And when I was teaching, I was fitting clubs as well. So I started having a better grasp of what caused what. And I kind of incorporated my own, own game. Driver, I'm still, so like even on my big cut that I hit off the tee, I'm still like five or six degrees up on it. Wow. Um, so I have high launch, low spin with like a, I think I'm around five or six out to in with a five or six degree up attack angle. Um so obviously it's going to be high or high launch low spin cuts essentially it looks like i can still curve it a lot because my path is still pretty big um like obviously anything over three with driver you can get some curve on it so and then with the irons like when i'm hitting like my slang like the one that's kind of i guess become like my trademark shot something that i'm super comfortable with people always wonder why i hit it but it's a shot that i'm like extremely comfortable with i'm like 30 into out with a 15 degree closed face Wow, that would be a really cool piece. I I'd like. I'm gonna, I'm gonna challenge you. Could you put one of those? Could you put the numbers up in one of your stories and some of your shots? That would be really interesting to see because obviously you tap into the, the visuals with the, um, with the shot trays and so forth. It'd be so interesting to see what are the numbers on that shot. Yeah, I love the windows. Yeah. I love the little gaps that you go through where there's just like a forest and you've kind of zoomed in on this tiny kind of square of, of clear sky and you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to hit it through there and curve it back around. It's quite, it is outrageous, Mac. Um, have you been approached by a ton of companies wanting to do kind of research on you? Or have you ever met a golfer who hits the ball the same way that you do? Oh, yeah, because I I never have for sure, and I've been playing golf for thirty odd years, and and I don't know about you, Zane. I mean, Me there's neither. a lot of a lot of professionals that we know move the ball a lot more than we maybe think. But y- you uh, you are quite unique in that respect. Yeah, I mean, I think all like obviously a guy like Zane or like all, any person that can hit a golf ball knows how to curve it. It's just 
they're not doing it when as a security blanket like I am. <laughs> so it's like they're capable of the same shots. It's not like I'm doing anything that's like mind-blowingly um, crazy. It's more that it's just mind-blowingly crazy because I'm doing it on a stock 150-yard shot with nothing in front of me. Um, so I think it's it's more just like that I've made it more comfortable than what a generic or stock golf shot is for most people um, by curving it. And no, to be honest, I haven't played with many people who are just like, curving every single shot left to right right to left um constantly switching it up like i'm a bit adhd out there to be honest <laughs> what's it what was it like for you when you turned pro mac um and i would imagine no no one was playing the way you were playing when when you went on to the was it the the the, the, tour, the mini tours in canada was that where you started your your professional journey uh, what was that experience yeah, so like I school i went to school in the states and i um, went to q school for pga tour canada the year that the pga tour bought canadian tour um, so it was 2012. I went to Q school and got my card right out of uh, university. I first go around at it, managed to get like really good conditional status. So it was kind of a shock to the system because I didn't really, I kind of just did it as like a, let's see how far I can take this. And then I got my card. So it was like a little bit of a transition period there where I kind of had to um, hone in on a few things to dial it in a bit. But um, I mean, the, the thing with my, when I played professionally, like, I had success. I won many tour events. I've had really low rounds, but I've always had the ability to go blast a quick 83 and <laughs> leave leave myself scratching my head a bit, which is why now I make Instagram videos and I'm not do, playing for a living just because I'm, I'm, I do get a little erratic and I'm the first. I, I mean, it's a lot of attention to um, kind of just getting too ahead of things out there and just too creative at times. Well, I want to know what Zane thinks about this because you play with so much freedom and personality in your golf game, Mac. And in the professional ranks, you have to be a bit more constrained, I guess. You have to be a little bit more within within your boundaries, within your kind of creative expression. Would you concur with that, Zane, having been on the, on the, the DP World Tour yourself? Um, how did you find that experience? Yeah, I mean, in my estimation of someone like, like Mac is that his, one of his issues is going to be he has so many options. So you get a lot, a lot of players that are good because they don't have many options and they have their one stock shot that they can hit and that's all they can have. And, and I think a lot of the time, even in the media as fans, you kind of romanticise this shot. Let's say Roy McIlroy has this absolutely ripped drive that tends to go very high a tiny draw and carries about 310 yards and pretty much goes straight well to hit him as, as Max saying that's his security blanket shot it just <laughs> happens to be something that's super super desirable but if you said to Rory okay can you stand and hit a hit a, a, a knuckle fade off the left hand trees he's going to hit it straight he's going to hit it in the trees sometimes he's going to over curve it sometimes which for 95% of the rest of the golf, uh, professional golfing uh, landscape, that's their go-to shot. It just seems to be, you know, that, that for someone like Mac, the fact that he can stand on the tee and go, I've got oh, nine different options, that in itself, from playing and trying to earn money playing the game, does cause an issue because you've got too much to go to. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. And I think um, that's it's hard for me to lock down on a shot because like part of me wants to hit like a little push fade another part of me sees a back right pin and wants to hit a big hook so it's it's attention to like or the ability to just stand over shot and know exactly what i want to do and be able to commit to it um that and like i found pro golf just a little too slow paced for me i was i'm very very fast moving person i don't like um kind of anything to do that's very slow so 
going out there for five hours and like grinding over a five foot pot. Professional golf really is not for I you. That don't have the patience. <laughs> Professional yeah, golf is like not for you. Just scoop it up, stick it in my pocket, and go to the next one. So, I mean, that, it's just a discipline. I think is a big thing. I, I still have a lot of friends that play professionally full time. I can still go out there and like compete, but then over a seventy-two hole tournament, it's uh, it's a challenge for me. Did you get a lot of players that you played with while you were on tour, Mac, who, who would come up to you and ask you questions about and try and tap into your psyche and how you think about golf and how you, how you play golf? Because I would imagine it's a bit of a happy Gilmore effect in, 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 in the sense that, you know, here comes a guy who's just doing things so radically differently to everyone else. Everyone else is a bunch of robots. And here is this guy who's hitting this 60-yard big left to right sling off a tee when when you know it we would seemingly just call for a nice little stock straight shot down the, down the middle did you get guys coming up at the end of your round going we need to talk <laughs> yeah i think it was more confusion than anything it's just like it's like an i, I don't even think they're trying to understand it because they just don't think it makes sense it's more just like straight confusion of like why do you do what you do and I think I do have a decent way of explaining things. Like when I hit a big hook, my miss is 99% of the time an overhook. So if there's a pawn right of the green and it's a back right pin, I'm probably not going to hit my big hook because my brings in the pawn in play. So I'd rather hit my cut, which ends up to the left side of the green if I miss hit it. So I did have a way to kind of explain things and people are like, okay, that, that definitely makes sense. Um, I play to misses when most people play to what they're like end goal target is <laughs> right which is i think completely backwards to a lot of people i don't know zane if you might want to correct me if i'm wrong maybe i'm wrong in that but yeah you know what mac i just got a question for you when you when you've played you've been playing for a tournament maybe a tournament's been on the line or you've been under pressure can you can you remember your best shot and could you describe what that would have been which would have been you know away from the normal kind of shot away from the, the you know the stock straight seven iron down the green where you, has there been any moments where you got in a fairway and you've just gone all I can see in this in this moment is to move it about 30 yards across the crowd waiting in the clubhouse watching for me back onto the pin what's been what's been your most meaningful sling so it's actually my biggest one was probably I was in a playoff it was my I was actually as an amateur uh, when I was like really crazy like I used to just do wild things and I was down doing a qualifier for the U.S. public links which used to be like the U.S. amateur they got rid of it and um, you used to get an exemption to the masters I think if you won the U.S. public links it was like a big tournament it did, yes. anyway so I was at the qualifier there's two spots and I got into a playoff and I was this kid going to like this little school in the states against all these big D1 players that went to like big colleges and in the playoff i had like 240 to like this back left pin that was like super tucked um no land zone at all but i could run it up like the right side of the green with like a big slice so i choked down on a driver off deck from like 240 in the middle of this fairway and hit this like back of the stance like slap cut driver off deck that like scooted up this gap and went around the pond instead of over the pond it went to like eight feet and i made the putt for eagle in the playoff to qualify for the u.s public links which was like to this day i was like no one else would have even like saw that they would have either ripped it long because they didn't want to put in the water or gone in the water trying to go for like this perfect shot with perfect carry so I just kind of played it completely different. Uh, and then I shot 94. Your, your, your opponent must have been so <laughs> yeah. annoyed seeing that shot. Your opponent was like, like, there was like a decent amount of people watching. And they were like, 
these guys were like <laughs> what just happened like i don't understand why <laughs> did why you mean that, that? Thing. if i was that opponent yeah. i don't think i'd have ever played golf again i think that would have been yeah. enough for me i'm like i've seen enough <laughs> it's you must have broken the hearts of so many golfers mac doing yeah. those kind of shots uh Talk to me about your transition from uh, kind of coming to the realization that the that, that life on tour was not going to fit with you, not going to work for you. And then I know you, you actually ended up in New Zealand uh, doing a bit of coaching. How did that sort of transition come about? Yeah, so I actually, I gave up playing professionally because I messed up my wrist. I was out for a run, popped the tents, had wrist surgery. It was like bad. Um, but at the same time, I'm like, there's no chance that I, I don't like this lifestyle of playing mini tour golf. There's no money. Like I'm constantly grinding to make like sponsors and all this other stuff. So I'm like, this isn't like great life. And I know I'm never going to be good enough to actually make a proper living. So yeah, when I had this wrist surgery in 2016, I moved to New Zealand, um, took the head teaching job at Millbrook Resort in Queenstown where they hold the uh, New Zealand Open. Um, was there for a few years, absolutely loved it. And obviously the whole pandemic hit. And I was kind of forced to move back from New Zealand, which obviously New Zealand shut their borders and was like pretty strict during COVID. So moved back to Canada and was kind of like in a weird place. I was teaching at an indoor facility in Toronto. Um, it was winter time and winter time in Canada is potentially the worst thing, especially in Toronto. So that winter, it would have been 2000 and I guess December 2020, I messaged Alex Riggs in Dubai. I knew him from Canada. I knew Claudine, and I was like, um, how's Dubai looking? Like, I hadn't been there before. It's the only country that was allowing tourism at the time during the pandemic. So I booked a one-way ticket to Dubai, and um, yeah, just kind of started pumping out these videos as like a side hobby just to like pass the time, because I'm like, I have nothing else better to do. Can't teach, can't do anything may as well grow something online then just kind of just grew from there mac just for a bit of context at that point how many followers would you have had on your instagram when you come across to do so when i moved back from new zealand i didn't even use instagram when i was in new zealand like i was a nobody i was like literally just teaching at this resort course in the mountains um never really saw instagram as a tool for anything other than just negativity in the world so then i um started pumping up these videos i literally when i left to dubai i had like 800 followers um, I guess that would have been December 2020. I had like 800. I left Dubai. I had about 3,000 or 4,000. I had a video that went pretty viral from Yaz Links. Um, that I just all of a sudden shot up. I remember Probably that video. In February. I remember that Got video. Got back to Toronto and then uh, started just, I took the head teaching job at a course in uh, just north of Toronto, one of the best courses in Canada. And um, was teaching and just continued making the videos. And then it's just kind of done its thing since then. What are the numbers today? How many have you got now? Um, I'm up to like 325,000 on Instagram. I think like well over 100,000 on TikTok. I don't really use TikTok. I just launched my YouTube. So we've, I've released two videos on YouTube. I think I'm sitting at like 11,000 subs, which is cool because like YouTube's a hard thing to get into. So I've, that's been the new goal is to get the YouTube rolling. All right, well, we're going to get into that, uh, that, that Instagram, that kind of social media explosion. I do want to ask you quickly though about your teaching philosophy mac when you coach because of the way you play golf and the way you think about golf i'm just going to jump to a conclusion and assume that you don't teach it necessarily the same as the way most people teach it how would you describe your philosophy when it comes to coaching and how you try and help people get better 
So I think I have like I have a really good understanding of a golf swing. Like I'm not uh, like I know what causes what, and like I put a lot of time shadowing top coaches. So like I think it's I'm very very situational based on the student, and I think that's super important. Is like I'm not. I'm not, not teaching everyone teach to make hundred yard hooks. Guy that can't move properly to the same to like my mom. Like it's everyone moves different. Everyone's going to have different abilities. So I would say I'm. Uh, I like to understand what you do naturally already. Ninety-five or ninety-nine point nine percent of people are never getting on tour. They just want to shave some shots off their um, score and get a little better, or maybe understand their golf swing. So I was always more of like, let's take what you're doing well, make it better, and eliminate some of the bad. And that's good. Like that's people are happy. So that was my philosophy with it. It was uh, it was definitely more just let people flow the way they're meant to flow. I guess. I know that a lot of coaches actually use exaggeration as a way to to learn a new skill. Um, and obviously, most golfers battle with coming over the top and and, yeah. and actually having a, an out to in path as opposed to an in to out path. And uh, you know, you are. <laughs> maybe the greatest exponent of an in-to-out path when it comes to the iron shots. Um, how did you get people rewired in that respect? What, how did you teach learning to get the club moving from that in-to-out path that everyone wants? I mean, it was a big setup thing. Like most people, again, like most over-the-top swingers, they just start aiming further and further more to combat their over-the-top swing, which is actually getting them more, more and more out to end. So getting them set up a little bit more close and understanding like how to swing down like the foot line. I always say like set up closed, swing down the foot line and we'll start with your club face 60 degrees shut just to like prove a point that you can hit a hook. Like I can, I'm pretty comfortable in saying that I can get anyone to hit a a hook, like a proper hook pretty quickly just from like me being able to explain it kind of in person. Um, So I would say set up is like the big thing is just getting them to set up properly. And grip, obviously. And Zane, actually, one of the things that's helped me in practice, and I, my goodness me, I cannot shape the ball particularly well, but what has helped me in practice is standing there and trying to deliberately curve it. It's actually made me a much better mm-hmm. player and a, and a much more consistent ball striker. And I, w- I would guess that most people never stand on a driving range and even attempt to do that. It's interesting if you can if you can practice both ends of the spectrum. You can normally do the bit in the middle, which which uh, other than you know for ninety nine point nine percent of the golfing industry, other than Mac Boucher, are trying to hit it pretty straight. <laughs> So if you can stand and hit and go to a driving range, it's almost like a lesson you can do on your own is like stand on the driving range and hit the biggest carve, slice, fade that you can hit. And then take the next ball and try and hit the biggest, highest draw that you can hit. The one in the middle becomes infinitely easier because there's a lot a lot less chaos as suchly, essentially. And it's the same with chipping and the short game is like do your high do the highest shot you can do with a wedge, do the lowest shot you can do with a wedge, and then we know the two parameters. We know what either side are. You then can work out, okay, this is what in the middle is. It's actually quite a good practice to go and do it. And, and kind of as Max said there, like most of it you can do from your setup. And you can, by wildly aiming offline and then having to renegotiate the club face, you do build up that kind of intuitiveness of knowing where the club face is. Because so many people think about think about their goal swing, like uh, kind of the opposite to how Mac plays, which I imagine he doesn't think about his goal swing too much but he lets his intuitive side take over. So by thinking about shallowing the shaft or, or what your right knee is doing in transition and you know all this nonsense that people come through my door with when they come for their first lesson, they, they can give a 15-minute a description 
of where what their limbs are doing and what they need to work on and what, where the club's going and then and then I'll say what's the ball flight doing and then they're stumped they're like oh um, I'm not uh, yeah it's alright <laughs> and it's, it's so non-descriptive but if you go kind of what Mac's saying you go the other way around hit the shots and then notice what did you do hit, hit the big fade hit the big draw and be like oh okay so when I, I'm trying to hit the big I'm trying to hit a draw when I hit a big draw I really feel this movement so it's like okay just feel that movement and see the shot and sometimes it's a lot simpler than we all make it out to be <laughs> yeah so, so do you Mac do you teach golf or do, would you say you play golf uh, this is going to sound weird but with your hands because you're you, you know you, you do manipulate the club so beautifully what are your triggers if you like for these excessive shapes when you when you actually stand over the ball start line so when you kind of brought up aiming for like little trees and stuff and gaps and trees like i've always been um very conscious of start line is my big thing if i can hit my start line i feel like intuitively i can kind of get my hands to kind of match the face to what my start line needs to be and then the ball will just take care of the rest so that's why i love like wind and stuff like i feel like i have a really um, unique gauge of like how to manipulate the club face in the golf swing to match start line and then finish target obviously so um, I would say yeah I'm definitely handsy for sure it definitely you need to be obviously if you're shutting the face 15 <laughs> degrees when you're 30 degrees and out <laughs> but um, I would say it's it's still set up as like my big thing if, I, if I'm standing over the golf ball feeling like I feel so good I'm locked into like my start line here I feel like I can hit a good shot, but if I'm like kind of like sketched out to like what my start line's going to be, that's when I when I hit my bad ones. So Mac has basically devised the, and then I don't know whether this is unwittingly or whether it's deliberately, but the kind of perfect ingredients for the, the perfect Instagram golf video. You've got the locations. You, you're either in the Canadian Rockies, you're in the New Zealand Southern Alps, you're standing on the 17th tier at Yas Links. I mean, I, I don't think I've ever seen you on a public municipal, Mac. I'm sure you've played them. But whenever I see you, there's this kind of outrageous, almost make-believe backdrop to your videos, which is brilliant. And that's, a, I think, a big part of what really pulls people in. And then you've got the way you style the videos, the way you shoot them, and the, the, the shots themselves, which are just kind of, I mean, it's play, I mean, beyond PlayStation Golf. Um, you couldn't do that on Tiger Woods PGA Tour. I, I know because I played it for a long time and, and you couldn't shape shots like that. So I, I want to know, like, as it started to snowball, how you kind of crafted your style, if you like, and, uh, and, and what sort of thought process went into that. And then how you kind of managed the reactions that you were garnering online as well. So, I mean, I've always been a really creative person. So I think, again, there's lots of people that can go hit a 30-yard hook. It's it's not even the skill set maybe that is overly unique, but I think I have an ability to showcase, like see, have an eye for a hole that looks really good that will picture well in the video and how I can make golf shots make that hole look um, a certain way. And I think, honestly, that's my skill set is it's more the creative side of it. I think I rather... I could play the top golf course in the world, but if it doesn't have like a cool looking hole or like a nice backdrop or something, that's what my niche is. And I think I've, I knew that right away. Obviously I'm pretty lucky, obviously living in Canada where I have like 
ocean courses, mountain courses, like just a little bit of everything, big tree courses. Um, and then obviously I've always traveled a lot. I've, I've got a huge travel bug. It's without travel. I'm like, I feel lost. I get a little bit, uh, kind of bored out of my mind sitting in one spot for too long. So with that, I essentially did everything I was doing before Instagram with the travel, with how I played and just started documenting it. So it was like, I didn't really have to make a change in what I was doing. I just had to stick a video camera down and learn how to like dim the light to make the video look good. Um, so I think the niche kind of created itself just from the way that I saw a golf course and was able to portray it on a video. Yeah, and I think the technology sort of advancing as well, the ability for for us guys with an iPhone to use Pro Tracer, for example. I mean, that, 100%. That's, I think that's bonkers. I, mean, I don't I don't even own a laptop. That's this is <laughs> like I'm the lowest budget. Like I, I, I'm embarrassed. to Actually, I'm not embarrassed. To say, I'm pretty proud of it. The fact that I literally travel the world with two phones and that's it. My golf clubs, two phones and some golf clothing. Like that's all I need to kind of create this is um, a, like I obviously the new phones have such good zooms and stuff that you can do everything you need to for an Instagram video. So it's, um, again, it's, it's something that I think was just, I, I have an eye for, for showing what I want to show on a good golf hole or, or whatever it is. When we played last year, it was, I found that fascinating that when, you know, kind of having followed some of your journey and then, you know, uh, and getting to meet the guy and we got to play around the golf at Dubai Hills and, uh, and that, that was, that was great. Just watching all the different shots. And then to hear you say that you pretty much just bomb around on your own, you know, with your phone and you got your um, you got your tripod spike that you stick in stick in the ground and you have a couple of little techniques of putting it a certain distance back and you know um, creating the shot with the zoom and so forth but all yeah all done on the phone which was great and then you kind of explained that you know your content was literally you hitting shots and you weren't even talking to the camera I noticed this year um, you started to do a bit more to camera, like you said, like with your YouTube and that sort of stuff. And how's how's that been? Because obviously, when you you didn't start out, you know, you didn't start out to be like an, an influencer and you know, kind of to be such so big on social media. And you kind of evolved that now to become a bit of a, you know like a, a personality and a profile in golf of, of talking through things. What's that been like going from kind of going about your business? Um, not to say you're an introvert in any way, but just to not have to speak in front of the camera to now actually kind of owning the channel and talk and speak in front of the camera because people want to hear what you have to say. Yeah, I mean, you're you're spot on with introverted. Like I am, I am the most self-proclaimed introverted person in the world. Like I, I, I've always been like that. I've always kind of just done things on my own. I've, which is why it's so weird now that I'm in this world that's the total opposite of that. Again, I lived in New Zealand before where I was off the grid, didn't use social media, would teach golf all day, then go for a hike in the mountains by myself, go heli skiing, just do things that was uh, more just like independent on your own. I'm terrified of talking. Like, I mean, I've maybe gotten a lot better since even I first met you guys, but um, like I, I'm very shy. So for me, talking in front of people and when the camera's on me has been probably like the biggest skill that I've had to kind of just adapt to and learn to to be comfortable with, which I totally am not still. Like, uh, it's you stick like a lot of the brands and stuff that I do stuff for. They'll stick a camera in my face, and I have to like do some like um, whatever lines and stuff, like ad reads or whatever. And it's the hardest thing ever for me, like literally the hardest thing. So I just felt like it was kind of had to happen though if i if i wanted to turn it into a proper brand for myself with more opportunity i kind of had to let people in and 
get a better understanding of why I do what I do and um, kind of what I'm doing. So I feel like it's been a necessary step that I had to take, but it's one that I'm not comfortable with at all. Do you get, did you start off, Mac, turning stuff down because of that and then force yourself? Next time I get an offer that I, I know I should take, I have to accept it. 100%. If you if you'd gotten like the first year and a half, like after I kind of like became bigger and had like, I'll call it 50,000 followers, I would have companies reaching out being like, can you do a video on this? And I'm like, does it involve me talking? And they'd be like, yes. And I'm like, I'm out. Like, I can't, I can't do it because I just couldn't talk. And I, to be honest, I'm still pretty like rough at it. Like I even like BMW, I've been doing quite a bit of work for BMW Golf Sport and I know their whole film crew now and they kind of like picked up on just like the way that I am. So they kind of have this way of making me feel comfortable. But the first time I worked for them, I was like 50 takes, like every single time, just trying to get out a basic sentence. Like it, it was so hard for me. So you can hit, uh, you can so hit a 50 I, I mean, yard hook. That's probably the thing I'm most proud of is how far I've come with that. You can hit a 50 yard hook on one take and then say hi to the camera, take 50 takes. <laughs> or more. Like I'd probably still be here stuttering over the word hi. Like it's, it's that bad. The, the marketing guys in their in their offices going right. How do we create a script which involves no no scripts? It's just Mac just yeah. shaping these balls. Uh, well, no, you've literally. done. Listen, you you've. I mean, it's been a, a real. Uh, first of all, it's just enjoyable content for everyone. I think that's the, hmm. the 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 takeaway is you've got one of the most enjoyable pages in golf right now. Uh, um, to just to follow and uh, and just to watch. You know, at the end of the day, most of us on Instagram are kind of engaged in either mindless scrolling or just kind of just in a you know pure kind of boredom browsing isn't it and when you come on to your page you're like oh my god i got to get down to the driving range <laughs> i see you hit shots and i'm like i've got to get down to the driving range and i think that's probably the effect you probably inspire a lot of people in that regard yeah i, I mean my favorite message i receive is people being like hey like I picked up golf again because I saw your videos, just the way you play. I used to be so hard on myself growing up and playing. And like, you've kind of showed me that there's a different way to play golf well, but also enjoy it and not just make it. I've kind of, I, I would say I've almost like sculpted a different community of golfers that are more of like, they're more stoked on a 50 yard hook than shooting 71. Like it's, it's, a different way like obviously i'm still competitive i'm playing a pro tournament in new zealand in a couple weeks got a sponsor invite to play in like the order of merit season final of like the pga event over there and it's like i want to go out and play well and i've been kind of prepping for it but at the same time that's not why i play golf play golf because i want to enjoy it and i think that's the community i've developed is like people that want to play golf and enjoy being out there and learn a new skill set or um hit a shot that they can go home and tell their wife who doesn't care about it um, <laughs> that that's what's enjoyable for me yeah. is like and i think that's i i think that's what i've kind of created because so. i think for a lot of people it's a game of inhibitions it's kind of mm. uh it's a game of i can't hit it in the water please don't hit it in that bunker and leave it in the bunker you know i'm guilty of that for sure uh during totally. times in my in my you play with this kind of carefree just kind of let it all just organically happen type attitude forget the shots it's just the way it's almost the way you carry yourself on the golf course as well that just projects this this kind of very uh creative and unrestrained very approach a very liberating approach to the game yeah and i think that's it i'm glad that that's what 
people see from it because that's what that's why I play golf. I play golf because I just love being out there. I'm just a guy who absolutely loves golf, no different than anyone else. I just find that it's like um, we play golf because we love golf. We don't play golf because we have to play golf. 99.9% of us, some of us play for a living. Obviously, it's a little different, but um, I just love being out there. So I think at the end of the day, if I hit a bad shot, who cares? Why am I scared of the water? I'd rather try to take that water on and do something crazy with it. And that's just like my mindset with it is I don't I don't want to be scared of the stuff that I'm out there. And that's kind of why I play pro golf or pro events now. It's the same attitude I take. I just love being out there having a laugh. Um, and I think that's kind of the people that follow me, I think, are, are starting to learn that there's don't be so hard on yourself, essentially. Mm. In terms of people because obviously you you attract the full gamut on social media um of of you know great great connections and and not so great connections how have you dealt with um the trolls for want of a better word and and what's the dumbest thing anyone has said to you on social media (laughs) one moment that i get once a week it's like this guy yeah you can hit a cool shot but this guy can't break 80 and i'm like i literally played in a Australasian tour event that was live broadcasted on Sky Sports in Australia and like every single shot of mine mic'd up with a caddy and shot a couple low 70s like under the gun with pressure on so like people just don't do the research like a simple Google search will will pull that up but um, I mean the world's in a weird spot with social media like you you have it's it's given people a platform where they can feel like they can kind of get back at the world and my theory is is it's the kids that were getting bullied growing up that didn't have the platform or the ability to like get back at the people that were bullying them are now the ones online seeing somebody that looks like they're successful or happy and feel like they want to give it back so it almost you almost have to feel a little bit sorry for them in a sense um my way of kind of coping with it i guess is i mean you guys i'm sure you've seen it i'm i'm big with calling them out i'll give them the old uh story shout out once in a while if they're repeat offenders or guys who are just like constantly leaving the uh the negatives <laughs> i love sticking it up on the uh the the story there and just like making a light joke of it and i mean 99 percent of the time when i do that they send me a dm being like can you please take that down like i'm so sorry i didn't mean what i was saying i'm having a bad day whatever it may be so I have tough or thick skin. Like it'll never get to me in a, a way that it might get to others. But yeah, it, it is what it is. I was going to say because I, I do respect the fact that you're every now and again I can see you know you're you're more you're happy to just kind of just share it and and, and call them out, but not call them out in a, in a horrible way like have a dig at them, but just by I think by sharing them it gives them it's a bit of a reflection to them, and then they as you, you just said they make the decision to be like actually yeah they make you know that was wrong and they will apologize and so forth because I know talking to quite a lot of the guys who are on YouTube um, they, they will say that when people kind of uh, would say something negative in the comments or so forth if you respond. They always come out. Oh, I was only joking. I love the channel and so forth. And I'm like, but in the last comment, you've just been digging us out, and now we've responded. Yeah. Now you're like, oh, I didn't mean it. I actually really. They just almost just want the response from that. But I guess you're doing it in quite a nice, way, a good way. What's a nice way? Because it's, it's not a very nice situation, but a good way that just to show them like a little mirror, and just play it back to themselves. And most people, most people realise what they're doing. They think actually, yeah, I wasn't supposed to do that. Yeah, hundred percent. I think there is no accountability online anymore. So there's no reason for me to give it back in a negative way. Again, I don't know what those people are struggling with in their personal lives or et cetera. It doesn't make it right that they're uh, kind of throwing it right back at somebody online. But 
I think sh- giving them a little shout out in like a tasteful way. It's not. Um, I found that the drop, the hate has dropped significantly on my page since I started doing that because I think it is such a small group of people that throw hate online. They do it to everyone, but all the big accounts normally just block it out or delete it. Um, when I just, I just think that that doesn't teach any lessons to anyone. If I can just change even ten people a year from not being such a negative people, like. I mean, I, I guess I'm doing my part. You're like a gardener that's just plucking out a few weeds from his garden. Yeah, yeah you know? exactly. I enjoy it, to be honest. Like, it's harmless. At the end of the day, I'm just a guy making useless golf videos online. Like, I can't take it that seriously. <laughs> What's the vision for the channel, Mac? Um, you know, you mentioned YouTube. I think the sky's the limit for this channel. I mean, you know, you, you, re- you know, obviously with Instagram, it's all organic. You've grown it from, as you say, a couple of hundred to 327,000 or whatever it is now and it's it's uh i'm guessing here but i doubt you've paid a penny to do that um what's the vision ultimately for it so i mean youtube's become the huge goal because i think i do have a lot to give in the sense that i come from a teaching background i come from a playing background i can relate to people from other sports because i've played other sports so i kind of want to make it like a visual podcast essentially where i go play golf with just people from all different walks of life whether I mean, I filmed a match the other day with a couple of pro snowboarders from Canada that have huge followings. Like, they have millions of followers. They're huge in their sport. I grew up kind of being a huge snowboarder, skier, so it's it's cool for me to go out, play nine holes, do a little match, do a little lesson with them, and then even, like, have them take me up on the snowboard later and, like, teach me something on the snowboard. Kind of document a little bit of everything um, just because I find that, like, it's like a daily thing right now where I'm getting messages from just people from other sports like i've had like um a couple of the new zealand all blacks players have messaged me that saw that i'm coming over to new zealand shortly that are like let's play golf and kind of line something up so for me it's cool because i get to connect with people from different walks of life um so that's been my big thing with youtube i think i want to i want to do golf but with cool people essentially that's awesome love that love that yeah once you make those connections and you start building them you start operating in an entirely new kind of stratosphere and and suddenly you know it'll be that much easier to get so and so on the video on the channel and it's just uh, it's going to snowball I'm sure you don't need the first T podcast to promote your page Um, we need you to promote us more than more really but Mac Boucher Golf is uh, is social media handles for Mr. Mac Boucher the king of sling whatever you want to call him it's brilliant stuff if you are listening and you haven't discovered him yet you need to make that an urgent priority i've got a few quick fire questions for you mac just to wrap things up this is a first tea first isn't it zane we're yeah, going to unveil these about, we've been talking about this little segment for a little while so i'm excited to hear some of these answers yeah okay so we'll start with which tour player do you most resemble who who, who shapes it the most who plays the most mac boucher-esque golf Honestly, people don't know this, but I would say Tiger Woods, when he was in his heyday, used to move it. Like I, And I think Sean Foley, remember him, used to tell me that all, all the time. He's like, Tiger used to hit like the curviest shots, low, high. He used to love just different trajectories. And I think uh, I would say I'm like Tiger without the talent. <laughs> Tiger without That's a new hashtag on that one. Tiger without that the talent. That the strap line. I like that. Yeah. The King of Sling, have you, uh, have you kind of copyrighted that yet? Have you taken out a patent on that? No, I have a copper. I mean, I get called it a lot. I just, I feel like I just, I'm just Mac. I, I'm not the king of anything. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're saying we've got this idea um, of playing a golf hole 
basically you've got to choose three players to save your life, Mac. And, and Zane's got the question here. So you've got a drive driver, an iron shot, and a putt as a lifesaver. Okay, Mac. So you need a birdie to save your life. Which player, past or present, hits the drive, the iron shot, and the putt? Okay. And, and that's assuming um, that the guy that hit the iron shot didn't hole it or stiff it. You've still got to yeah. hold an eight, nine-foot putt. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm going Rory off the tee. It would just be stupid not to. you you gotta, you got to go with him. I'm going to throw a little curveball and go with uh, Brooke Henderson with the second shot. She's oh, wow. just been hitting every single green lately. She's literally mm-hmm. been tearing it up on the LPGA Tour and, and greens and rag. I think she's gone like three rounds where she's gone 18 for 18 greens and rag this year. Um, putting would be – I'm a terrible putter, and I don't watch a lot of golf. Uh, <laughs> want to give me a hand here? Who's a good putter right now? Well, I mean, I think if you wanted to go into the annals of history, I think the the, the kind of heyday of Tiger is probably Ti- the best. Yeah, I was, I was trying to go without saying Tiger, but how do you go without saying Tiger? I, I Tiger. suppose the season that Jordan Spieth had in two, 2015, that was some scary you, you putting. Can, you can pick a player from the yeah. era. Yeah. Uh, who's had the best year on putting – it's hard to think of one actually it's in you know who's um, De- on the PGA Tour Denny McCarthy is like unbelievable putter every single year he's like a, he's not just one guy that's like one good year he's like been top of the putting forever and a bunch of the PGA Tour players have played in a couple of pro-ams and they were like this guy putts like ridiculously well so he, he'd be a good one as well yeah the other guy the guy who just putted lights out for that one tournament Brian Harmon at the Open Oh, I mean, yeah. it was just oh, yeah. a joke. I mean, it was yeah, just... Yeah, that, that was insane. I, I don't know. Uh, his stats were... I think he I think he missed one part outside eight feet or some, something like something absurd like that. I mean, it was just like watching it. It was like, oh, he's going to hold it. Yeah, he holds it. He's holding I mean, it. Yeah. Uh, under the pressure, and Ian Poulter, he, you wouldn't put it past him, but he, he would fancy it. He would, <laughs> he would hold you together. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You can eat a guy with some pressure for sure. All right, so we've got Rory off the tee, Brooke Henderson from the fairway, and just, just on the off chance that Brooke does not stiff it to within gimme range, <laughs> we've got from 10 feet, we've got a 2001 Tiger Woods. I think, uh, I think, I think you could get by on that, Mac. Um, right, if someone off you a hundred thousand dollars to find the green from 180 yards with either a massive hook or a massive slice what are you hitting uh 180 yards i'm just trap hooking an eight iron full gas nothing holding back on it and it's uh i mean that's a big thing i need to be able to step into it not feel like i'm feathering one okay all right so we're going with the massive trap hook (laughs) okay Trap hooky, All right. Okay, next one. So, if you could dramatically improve one area of your game by clicking your fingers, what are you going for? Patience. <laughs> like, honestly, in, like, in I click feel like if I just didn't have the, uh, like, just moments where I just completely lose interest because it's, I've just, my head starts spinning too fast and I'm waiting for the group in front of me patience 100 percent. if i could just like relax cool my jets a little bit and like commit to a shot because i didn't have to wait then i i think i'd be set i like it i like it all right final one from from me mac which player do you most want to see win a major in 2024 i mean us canadians we we really like the uh the canadian contingent so i would love to see like a Mackenzie hughes or adam hadwin or Taylor Pendrith. I would say any of the Canadian umbrella. I know that's not specific to one, but just a Canadian to win a major, 
other than my queer, it would be uh, it would be cool. For <laughs> it's, golf. it's been twenty years, hasn't it? Twenty years since a it's Canadian a won a major. Yeah. Oh my yeah, word, Corey uh, Corey Connors, I feel is the best shout. Probably the best chance. Yeah, but... I, I I don't know. I think there's a couple like Adam Svensson's a good player. They're all good players. All these Canadians come up are pretty uh, top drawer. Like they're good ball strikers. Adam Hadwin, Adam Svensson, um, those guys are like high up on the the ball striking. Which yeah, is Canadian golf is in a majors. Canadian professional golf is in a really really good spot right now. I think it's, it seems to be more really competitive Canadian golfers than ever before. There's always been the standout player here and there, you know, go, going way, way back. But right now, like, there's, there's a bunch of Canadians. And you can see there's a real camaraderie on the PJ Tour. When one of them does well, they'll hang around and they spray the champagne. And, and everyone saw it. Adam Hadwin gets rugby tackled by a security guard for <laughs> running on and that sort of stuff. But it does seem in a really good space. And obviously, as you said, they're really good ball strikers. And uh, obviously, they, yeah. they're, they're all just just right behind... Matt Boucher, who's one of the best ball strikers of them all, being able to hit all the shots. I'm a washed-up chopper that makes Instagram vids. Speaking of the washed-up chopper that makes Instagram vids, um, what are your plans for 2024? I know you're heading... Are we going to see you over here in the UAE at some point, Mac? Yeah, so my goal is... um, So I head to New Zealand, actually, in a couple of days, going over there until Christmas, home for Christmas, and then I think I'm going to come out to the Middle East in, um, like, January spend at least a few weeks during like desert classic week is the kind of goal um so i'll definitely be there last few years i've been there for like two or three months this year so a little a little bit different and other than that like i think i'm going to australia to do some stuff with like sand belt courses and, and that and then um yeah I, I don't really have like i don't think too far in the distance because i want to keep my options open for when opportunities come that's awesome that's great well uh, we're looking forward to continuing to follow you on your journey mac it's been a pleasure thank you so much for sparing the time to chat to us on the the podcast and uh yeah wishing you the best for next year and looking forward to seeing what's next for you yeah i appreciate you guys having me on great seeing you both i mean just so many things that you can learn from talking to that man. I really enjoyed that conversation. Some great moments that he shared with us in some of the best shots that he's played and some of the the tournament shots that he's even tried to take on under competition. But I think he's found his groove, hasn't he? And he's found, uh, I think he's found his personality online as well. And it's been nice to see Mac really come to life over these last couple of years on Instagram and YouTube. Yeah, precisely. The the journey that he's been on, you know, is he didn't plan to be, to 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 be this position in golf, this personality in golf, you know, a couple of years ago, it all started out with one shot as such. And he's embraced it and he's been able to realise what he's good at. He started sharing that. He just found that people like it. He's a nice guy as well, which I think kind of, that, that kind of helps build his story. And he's now, you know, as a professional golfer's life will evolve and how the game will evolve. His his social media is evolving. His followers evolving. You know, he's now working into, you were talking about talking on camera. You know, that's another, another thing that he hadn't, anticipated it all started with one shot then it went to people were happy to watch me hit these great shot traces and now he's finding he's now got to share who he is and it's, yeah it's, it's really good inspiring and i think anybody out there can start to you know what i would actually suggest anyone to go out to go and play nine holes even if you go and play on your own and just try and hit the, some of the craziest shots you could the most big curves that you can hit and i think you'll find you'll find something because our golf these days are so in positions and camera and slow-mo and three four degrees of you know moving the club face 
just go out get some big slices and cuts and just find it and you, you it's, it's a really good liberating experience so you don't need to you don't need to instruct most people to go out there and hit some big slices On purpose. and On cuts purpose. yeah and I, I think that's that's <laughs> cool that's an instruction that, that most people can follow very very easily but yeah I, I totally agree and you know what next time I tee it up it is the festive season I'm not I haven't got a scorecard in my hand I'm going to just give it a go I'm going to try and hit these big cuts they're going to end up being massive blocks and uh, yeah we'll see how we go haven't you've got to film it and you've got to put a shot tracer whether it goes into the villas at the Montgomery oh dear or... <laughs> I'm not sure about that what what does what, what uh, the next couple of weeks hold for you in terms of I know we've got Christmas coming up and, and December is going to be a busy month but in terms of tournament golf are you back in cold storage now are you gearing up for 2024 already very much gearing up yeah and working on my game we're going to be practicing a bit more there was a really interesting video I saw of Tiger Woods online and he was talking about what he did and what he spoke to his juniors about and he spoke about prepping for tournaments of having a thousand touches on the golf club. So not necessarily a thousand golf balls, but going to hit a hundred, hundred golf balls, 200 golf balls, you know, 300 chips, 200 chips, parts, so forth. And I thought that was quite interesting that, you know, cause that's something I don't do anymore because, you know, work on other stuff, but I still enjoy my golf. So I'm going to go for a thousand and have a few days of 500s. I could do, right. I could manage 500 without falling apart. <laughs> Just enjoy that, but yeah, I'm off to Mauritius to go to the uh, the Legends Tour um, MCB Tour Championship. So I'm going to be out there doing a bit of work out there and playing a little bit of golf, which will be nice, and see how some of the, the names from the past are getting on. Fantastic, and and you mentioned Tiger there. Great to see him back, isn't it? I mean, look, it was a rusty re-entry into the world of golf, as as he alluded to and as he expected. But just seeing him out on the golf course, it's amazing how. Just watching him swing a club now is almost like a bonus. You know, people go crazy about it. The PGA Tour did an entire feature on one man standing on a driving range warming up like it was the highlight of the year. No wonder this guy still does well in the PIP. <laughs> Amazing, isn't it? Like, you said, like it was a highlight of the year. Like it, it is one of the highlights of the year in golf. Watching Tiger, do, you know, just go through his warm up. And yes, he didn't have the score he wanted. And, you know, he was pretty good. He, he seemed to, the chat from watching all the coverage was that he ran out of a bit of steam on the last few holes. But the piece that I enjoyed really, like, so much was he was playing with Justin Thomas, who we know is his good pal. And they get on the first. And Tiger stepped up and he pings it 326 yards down the middle. And you're thinking, this is uh, the old guy. Can't really walk properly. <laughs> but then when he comes down, it like, there's a, it's in him. It's, he's still got it. It's in there. Yeah, it's true. I just hope his body and I hope his ability to walk these courses just holds up. I, you know, I know we, we talked with Ian about the, the Tiger cycle where he comes back at this event, he gears up for the Masters, he might play Riviera and then things start to break down. And you, last year, or this year I should say, last, last uh, April at the Masters, you could see how much pain he was in. I just hope his, uh, his legs hold up a little bit better this time around and we get to see him play what he hopes to be you know, one event per month is what he's targeting. Just the amount of rehab and even prehab that he's got to do before and after each round of golf just must be crazy. But hopefully we get to see him play a little bit more in 2024. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, it, that's kind of a big call from him. Like, he normally is really coy about when he's even going to be playing golf next. And he said two things. His ankle's much better. And he, as you just alluded to there, he said uh, a tournament a month, which... I'm not, you know, we've not heard Tiger kind of commit or say anything in public for like that for a long time. Normally he plays his cards really close to his chest. I don't know where I'm even going to play golf next, so forth. So 
fingers fingers are crossed they're going to say more yeah. of the big cat it's going year. to yeah fingers crossed on that front right we've got plenty of guests we're working on in the pipeline some exciting names coming up for the first tea podcast so looking forward to introducing you to those in due course more episodes on the way the next one of course dropping next week but zane it's been a pleasure as always and um happy practice i guess until the next time i'll be working on my short game you be working on those 1000 hits 500. per day 500. 500 make sure you get those reps in <laughs> yeah, I will do. I will do. There'll be, there'll be probably 300 tap-ins, but got to do it. It's about the feel. Hey, everything counts. Right then, guys, we're going to be back with another episode of the First Tee Podcast with the DP World Tour. But for now, thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate you tuning into this and uh, happy golfing in the meantime. The First Tee 